stories like long lost friends Rodeos and late night bends History before our time Round pens and pasture rides Cowboys of the Osage Howdy, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Cowboys of the Osage podcast, brought to you by the Ben Johnson Cowboy Museum, located in historic downtown Pahuska, Oklahoma. It's O'Cody here, and as always, I have Jimbo with me, Mr. Rodeo Historian himself. Jimbo, good to see you this morning, and who do we have today? Hey, Cody boy, it's just another great day in Osage, and it's good to see you. And uh, Cody, we've got legendary rodeo announcer uh, Charlie Throckmorton with us today and uh charlie's announced the nf sr 20 times 19 times consecutively which is a prca record he's announced the nfr in 1991 he's announced the ram nationals 1992 extreme bull finals 2005 the timed event championship five times the pbr world finals three times member of the texas cowboy hall of fame just an unbelievable uh, resume, and uh, he's a real historian of the rodeo and sheer roping especially, and we're just really happy to have him with us today, and uh, Charlie, welcome to the Cowboys of the Osage podcast. Thank you, Jim Bowen. I'm only 39 years old, so I did a lot in my well, time, didn't I? Boy, you did it. <laughs> and if you believe that, I got ocean yeah. property outside of Fort Worth. I didn't mean to date you like that. <laughs> <laughs> Your partner over there, your partner in crime, let me tell you about him real quick. Uh, we're down at San Antonio. Here this we go. Big now, this is uh, PG-friendly now, Charlie. <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> okay, we're down at San Antonio, the biggest air opening in the world at the time. I mean, a lot bigger than Cheyenne, a lot bigger than Pendleton. Cody is in it. I think it goes to the short round. And I'm pulling for him. I'm bragging on him, okay? Right. And I said, man, he can rope, but he can't back the trailer. <laughs> it's the truth. He is the worst back in the trailer I've ever seen in my life, but I love him. You know, I got to give him a hard time. Hey, Charlie, I never told you how my dad taught me how to drive that semi. You know, we went, we had a gas station about a mile down the road from our house, and he said, hey, Cody, why don't you get in this semi and we'll go down here and uh, fill it up with fuel? And I drove it down there, went through most of the gears getting that mile, and then we drove a mile back and we stopped on the shoulder right there in front of our house. And he got out, and he said, well, I need you to go down to Andrews, pick me up a load of rope and steers. Wow. And uh, that's the only <laughs> truck driving training I ever had. So um, the back end. You had to learn on your own. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I back one a little bit better now, but but not much. <laughs> I remember the days when you couldn't back a gooseneck. So uh, there you go. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, Jimbo, I'd be cruel to him this morning. Yeah, pour it on him. Pour it on him. We don't get very many chances. I get what I deserve, you know. You know, I'll tell you what, one of my, one of my treats many years ago, uh, we're sitting in my hotel room in Hobbs, New Mexico, during the National Finals Fair Open, and Rocky and Cody are in there. And we're, we were having some cocktails back in the day, and then it was late at night, and we were telling stories, and I should have recorded it because it was good stuff. And we were talking about the great Dunn horse. Remember him, Cody? Oh, yeah, the yeah. Uh, Dutch, the yeah. horse that my dad sold to T-Woman. 
Yeah, and then T. Woman uh, made a lot of history with that horse, and I mean, but a lot of history there with you and your dad and your family, and I enjoyed that immensely. I don't know, we stayed up till two o'clock in the morning, you know, and I, it was time for me to go to bed. I know Charlie's a bad influence on me when I get around him, Jimbo. Sound like I wondered where you learned some of your bad habits. <laughs> Hanging out with Charlie. Uh, you know, I get to thinking about this steer opening. It's been a passion for me for a long, long time. And I look at uh, 32 years ago when I announced my first national finals in 1990. And that's when Phil Lyon beat Guy Allen by $85. I remember that just like yesterday. And I talked to Phil, and he remembers it very vividly. And I was announcing with Clem 32 years ago. Oh, my God. You know, when he did that, Charlie, I remember that, too. I was just a... Uh, high school kid or something when that happened, but uh, didn't feel line. He came out of retirement just to show everybody that Guy Allen could be beat at the time. Then he immediately retired again. Correct. And they rodeoed together, traveled together, and they loved one another. And it, it was a friendly competition and rivalry. And I remember in that tenth and final round when we're doing the draws in order of world standings, and we still do that. You go to the tenth round in order of the current world standings. So everything's changing. And so God broke the barrier and still had the two loop to win the world. Now the rules have changed since then. And I'm not an advocate of this, of the single loop. And I got in trouble with the PRCA for saying that because don't say that you don't have a, uh, uh, you can't give your opinion. I said, why national football league uh, announcers give their opinion. Uh, baseball announcers give their opinion. What about me? Well, we, we, we don't want to do that. It's single loop. I said, it still runs the average. You know, I, I can tell you. Let's go back to Jim Snively, Jimbo. Okay, you're there. Right. 1959, when Jim Snively was 48 years old, they too had come back then. There were only 15 no times in 1959. Really? 15 no times. Yeah, nowadays, there's a bunch of them. Yeah, you had two, flat, two flat falls, two loops and two flat falls back then. Yeah. And uh, the, the Jim Snively, you were, now listen to this. Second place in the first go-round, fourth place in the second go-round, third in the third go-round, second place in the sixth go-round. He never won a go-round, but he was 170.4 on six, and it paid a gigantic income of $1,493. But that was a lot of money. Everything's relative now, right? Right. That, that was, you know, they talk about this these $50,000 paydays now, and that won't even buy a, good, a really good pickup. No, it won't. I mean, and... and uh, of course, I was a baby back then in the 1959. I was born in 54, so I was a baby. But, I mean, man, that's history right there. But let me tell you, the tightest I've ever worked in the history of professional rodeo was when Scott Snedeker beat Guy Allen in 2005 by $1.67. I set it up in the 10th and final round, and everybody was standing, and you could hear a pin drop. That's excitement in rodeo. Now, we call steer roping single steer roping, the illegitimate event of rodeo. But let me tell you what, the people loved it, and should you love it when that title race is that tight? Yes. Greatest moment I've ever had. Yeah, that's an unbelievably close race. It's just hard to believe after a long season that it could come down to a dollar and 67 cents. You know, Joe uh, Clark beat Joe Snively uh, in 1961 by $94, and they thought that was just unbelievable, you know, that you could have that tight a race. And that was nothing well, compared Joe, to what you're talking about. Yeah, Joe and uh, Snively and Sonny Wright in 65 was about six, $615. So they were pretty tight right then. Right. But right. Sonny Wright back in those days was reckless in, in, in the steer rope. He was dangerous. 
I mean, he would rope and duck off and just bail off and the horse throwing that horse off. You know, the horse has a jerk and he has to compensate for that weight on the saddle, that fender when you're riding the fender. And Sonny Wright was wild. He'd just bail off and go to him. But he was fun to watch. And I was a kid. Have you ever seen that picture of him? I think it was at Venita, maybe at the finals, where his horse, he missed his trip and and uh, that horse got jerked so bad, and the latigo strap is look, sticking straight out. That's how bad a jerk it was. And he doesn't yeah. even have a hold of the saddle horn. He's got a hold of the bridle reins. That's, that was Sonny Wright. You yeah. know, he got bucked off on a big ranch out there in New Mexico one time, and he laid out there for a day, knocked out riding a yearling, and he walked back. I, I think it was like 40 miles. And, but he was a tough son of gun. <laughs> yeah. He was colorful, too. You remember how he used to tuck his boots in? You know, he wore them high-top boots. and, and Like Brock Hardy used to wear those high-top boots, yeah. Yeah, and he always wore a black hat. You know, I don't know if guys are as colorful as some of those guys were back then. Do you? I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Remember Wild I Bill Harlan? <laughs> Yo, Wild Bill was the father of the National Final steer opening. Right. I brought him out at an opening ceremony one year at the National Finals. I said, Wild Bill Harlan, he produced the first one in 1959 in Clayton, New Mexico, and they all like to throw to death. Now, they had the GB uh, or the GRA, the Girls Rodeo Association, which is WPRA. They had four go rounds of that, and they had team roping at six go rounds, and then the steer roping at six go rounds. But they were not going to have any of that until Harley May stood up and told the board, we're going to have it where you like it or not. They said, oh, we don't need team roping, and we don't need barrel racing, and we don't need steer roping. But Hardy May stood up with Bill Harlan and said, we're going to have it, and they had it. Those are my heroes. To yeah. stand up to guys that didn't have any perception of the future. The board of directors, and I hate to be hard on them, but how stupid can you be? Right. But Hardy May and Bill Harlan took it to the forefront, and then Hyde, I mean, uh, King Merritt was kind of back and two with some money, and it didn't work, and they lost money. But we had to evolve. So when right. the guys today take a look at it and they bitch, they bellyache, go back to the hard times and the days when everybody started with nothing. You know, I was at that first finals. I was only three years old and really had no memory of it, but I know it was terribly cold. And uh, I bet they were. Tell them about your dad there, Jimbo. <laughs> My dad, he went out. He was number 16 in the world that year, and they told him, I'm talking about Jim Jr., uh, they told him to go out there because somebody would probably drop out. So he hauled a horse. We had to take two vehicles on account of that. So it was a little bit of trouble. Uh, Joe went in one car, and my grandfather and my dad and, and me went in the other car. And uh, uh, we got out there, and, and they, nobody dropped out. So, so they gave my dad a run in the chute. And he had to sit up there looking in that north wind all day long for everybody, other than the, wow. at the barrel racing, he got in and warmed up. That was the only chance. So he was probably the coldest guy there. But they did pay him $200 a day, which was pretty good money back then. Well, that's big money. Yeah. There was one barrel racer back then. I got some records. I'd have to go back and look at it, but I kind of remember this. And she placed it around $115. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, it's all relative. You had to get started somewhere. We we had to walk before we ran, and, uh, but touche to Bill Harlan and all those wonderful top 15 back then, the heroes of mine, the legends that gave our sport what it is today, and we should never forget them. Some of the younger guys, they, I got to talking one year at the finals, and I said, somebody was back in the box, I said, give me a Sonny Davis round. Let's burn around. Give me a Sonny Davis run. Right. And the, one or two of the kids of the national finals came up to me and said, Charlie, who's Sonny Davis? <laughs> you know, 
and went, my God, a lace-up Bogans, Roman Nose, Roan Horse, and he could have big man that could move fluid and he could beat anybody. I, I love old Sonny. I mean, and uh, but we need to preserve history, guys, and some of the younger generations have missed this. Oh, yeah. Well, that's what we're trying to do, and, and that's what you, you've done. You know, I, I watched the other day, I watched an a, a interview you did with Kelly Corbin a few years back, you know, and, and uh, that, that's what we're trying to do, keep, keep these. Oh, he'll fly. Corbin's yeah. very intelligent, and uh, I call him Hill Fly is the nickname because he rode the great Everett Shaw horse that his dad bought, Hill Fly. And, you know, Kelly in 1964, and he graduated from high school, went to Cheyenne, and he wins the thing. And he didn't even know what he had done. He really didn't. He said, I was right. dumb. And, and he said, I wasn't intimidated by Everett Shaw and those guys because I grew up in the arena with them. Right. I didn't know any difference. Right. But a great story, Kelly Corbin. It was a, how, who does that? You right. graduate from high school and you go in Cheyenne. My God. And then two years later, he won the Ben Johnson at age 20. And that's still the youngest man to ever win the Ben Johnson. Yeah, and then he won the average, too. He won the average at the national finals. Uh, we take those great years, though. Of, 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 and I talk about Rocky Garnett and winning Cheyenne at his age at the time right. and came back. And, and I said, he won it twice. And I said, my God, Rocky, you know, you're my age. And you, you, you go out there, it's not an age, it's the talent. It's the horse you're riding, it's the talent. And the Garnett, they had the talent. You know that. Right, right. <laughs> Absolutely. Heck, this year them old guys came to the top at, at Cheyenne once again. It looked like. How old is how old Ori Tayton? Is he's got to be mid fifties, right? Closer to yeah, sixty Ori's than fifty. Mid, yeah, he's mid fifties, I think. Yeah, I think they call you him. You get 54. my age, you start talking about them sixties, upper sixties, nearly seventy. So Ori, he's he's in the mid fifties. I remember Ori at the, the national finals years ago, and what a great guy! He brought his whole family down, and I mean, South Dakota had a cheering section. Was that an Amarillo? Amarillo. Yeah, Amarillo. Charlie. And Go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I thought it was great to have all, all of South Dakota. I said, Ori, I said, did you bring all of South Dakota down here with you? He said, for near. <laughs> <laughs> you were talking about old guys at Cheyenne. 1968, I was up there as a kid, and I saw Ike Rude rope and tie steer at age 74. A big steer. Oh, my God, what a legend there. You start talking about Ike Rude. He, he, him and Coots Mansfield was roping goats one time, and they said, Ike said, you want to four-foot them or just heal them? Coots Mansfield said Ike Rude could do whatever he wanted to rope. He could four-foot, double hop, catch him around the neck, and you don't want to be in a match roping with him. Right. <laughs> Isn't that a great story, my, though? My grandfather said Ike probably roped more cattle than anybody Ever, or at least at that time, you know, he just roped all the time. And whether he's working on a ranch, he roped on that ranch, or just whatever it took, you know, he loved to rope. I got a funny story about Ben Johnson, and I used to uh, announce Ben's pro ams all over the country for charity. And we went to Reno, and we went to LA, and we went to Oklahoma City and Houston and Fort Worth and a lot of places. And I got to know Ben really, really well. And we go eat breakfast early morning, I knew his habits. I knew exactly his habits. He ate a big breakfast early in the morning, take that big chaw, that big stuff. And actually, I have ridden in a pickup with Ben Johnson driving, going out to a ranch. Though he never talked about movies. You know what he talked about? Horses and the breeding of horses. And he was so interested in horses. And he told me one time, he said, Jotty boy, I won't tell you. Here's how it is. I won't tell you about a horse. He said, you take a horse 
A smart horse will scotch on you every now and then because he can. And a dumb one ain't got sense enough to. Yeah. Now think about that. Yeah. Uh, 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 a smart horse will mess with your mind sometimes, will he not? Yeah. You're but a dumb right. one ain't got sense enough to. Yeah. I mean, what a great theory from Ben Johnson. I mean, yeah. you know, that's a great theory. He said, I stole all my ropings. I said, explain to me. He said, well, when I started, Charlie, boy, I didn't have no money. I had them old bell gans, and he said, I had to borrow a rope, borrow a hat, borrow a saddle, and a horse, then I beat them. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what it was like. We're talking about guys that went through hard times. Right. Right. Well, he grew up in the 30s. I mean, you know, I mean, sure. 20s and 30s, but he was part of that generation. Cody, I know I talk too much, buddy. Go ahead. Oh, no. I was just saying what it would have been like out there learning to rope with those guys out on the, out on the Chapman Barnard Ranch. They said, uh, I read an article about Ike Rude here a while back. They said he came to stay the night in Pahuska, and he stayed 23 years. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. I mean, the, the great ones down through the years, uh, ride the old Hancock horses and things like that. And you, you the history, and of course, the Snivelys were history, in big-time history in rodeo. And, and you could pick out favorites, and I've got too many favorites to pick out. And I told Guy Allen, I told Phil Allen, I said, you know, you guys are my heroes, and I know you really well, but I said, my hero was Sonny Davis. You know, it, it, and I told Guy, he, I said, he, the guy said, oh, my hero was Sonny Davis. You you have people that you pick out growing up who would be your hero. I mean, there's McIntyre. There, there's so many down through the years. Everett Shaw, Shoke Webster. Shoke Webster could rope off a mule and win. Uh, you know, I did a funny story one time, he said there's having the big rope and at Clovis and I worked Clovis for about 17 years out there and they had, this was way before my time before I came along and they had a big roping and uh, Troy Fort called a shoat and said I need you to come to the rope and the shoat said on foot he said well I'll get a horse for you and I said, no I'm, I don't need to come I'm busy he begged him to come so he said I got a gray yearling out here and he said I, I, I've been feeding with him pulling he harnessed him up to a wagon and that was uh, Milligan's Roney, Roney's Milligan. So he took him out there, had never had never laid down a steer on him. He scored him. He logged him. He goes out there and wins the five-head average. Because why? Because he was Shoke Webster. Hey, Charlie, you know what the fees were on that roping back in the 40s? $1,000 a man. Yeah, right there in that is in Clovis and in Camp at Wyoming, you know, the Merits went up there and they put on a big rope of $1,000 back then. Where could you get $1,000? That was the equivalent of about 12000 in today's money. Yeah, I think a lot of them had backers, you know. Uh, nobody just had $1,000 in their pocket. Uh, but you better you better rope to win. You know, I, I, I wanted to be a, a tripper and uh, Monroe Thomas, and you remember him, guys, yeah. don't yeah. you? Yeah. Big guy. Yeah, sure. He unloaded he unloaded a two-eyed jack horse at my place when you're gonna teach me art of tripping, scoring, and he had this this horse he wanted me to ride. He had a he had a jerk line that looked like a well rope. And this horse could fare ground them old cattle now. And I would had no athletic prowess at all. And Monroe's the, he's a drinking that old light beer and a chewing that old tobacco at the same time, don't even spit back a sip of that beer and he said, You know, like as not, she's gonna get killed. He said, I think you better pick up that microphone and lay down the rope. And I said, God, he told me an honest truth, but there's an art to it. 
And you know, Cody, there's an art to it. You've done it. Not everybody can do it. I can't duplicate what you guys have done, but I've tried. I just never could duplicate it. But I sure was on a good horse that day. I was a little nervous roping around Monroe because he was a legend. But he, you know, he told me the truth. You know, he said, I like you a lot. But he said, really, you need to keep announcing the not trip. <laughs> he, he just, he just well hit me. You know, it hurt, but it was the truth. You know, when I think about steer roping announcers, Jimbo, I, there's three that come to my mind, and three only. We got the great Clem McSpadden. We have the great Kurt Robinson. And we got Charlie Throckmorton. Yeah, those are the guys that, that come to, to your mind. Uh, well, thank you. Kurt and I talk a lot on the phone. <laughs> Kurt and I, maybe the most fun we've had, Kurt and I working together. Because I would bring up something, he'd play off me, I'd play off him, because both of us are historians. You're both and it's fun work Kurt. Yeah, Charlie could give Kurt a run for his money on them Sultan stats, yeah. I think, for yeah. sure. He's the northern but Sultan, you're the southern Sultan. Back but in- he is the greatest mathematician besides McSpadden I've ever worked with. Now, I want to tell you what, guys, these guys, we got computers and everything now. And, I mean, I can keep up with an average. But Clem McSpadden and Kurt Robinson could do a running average of 10 in their head. I, I know because I've worked with them. That's how smart they are. Well, I was at the national finals one time when Kurt got the statistician wrong. Do you remember the, the, the finals where it came down to Scott Snedeker and Rocky Patterson? I was announcing. And it was I, another one of them Kurt, close ones Scott was in. And I let it, Kurt. I said, scenario. And he gave me the scenario. I should have known it myself. But I wanted to include Kurt. And we got it wrong. That'll happen and every now and then. The one time. One time. And it was it was terrible. And I, I, I felt as bad as Kurt. But we don't talk about that. We talk about positive. I said, you know what? We're all human. And we can make a mistake. Rocky was good with it. Scott was good with it. Okay? But it was a mistake. And, uh, it, it, and I still think about that sometimes. And Kurt, he was just beside. He couldn't sleep for a week. <laughs> you know, I, I, I mean, I, hey, the world, the sun comes up tomorrow, and there'll be another world champion next year. So we got it right finally, didn't we? <laughs> sorry to bring about. Sorry to bring up a sore subject there, Charlie. I was just bringing it up oh the one God, time I, I ever knew of. Oh no, 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 call Kurt and tell him. Gosh, dang it. <laughs> I'm gonna call Kurt. You know what? You know what Cody did. He brought some stuff up, Kurt, about me and you. <laughs> oh heck! Didn't mean nothing by it, Charlie. Charlie, you remember? No, you remember announcer down in Texas by the name of Buck Jackson? Did you ever know him? I know of him. I know yeah. of him. Yeah, is he? I think he's the one that coined the phrase "Buddy Neal's Corner." Have you ever heard that phrase in roping? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that was Buck Jackson. I'm not sure. My grandpa told me about it, and and I guess Buddy. Cody just got down there in the corner and had a heck of a time. Maybe when they was roping them little Florida cattle that you they were just so much trouble when they closed the border. And uh, Buddy got down in the corner and was just a week on a steer. I don't know what all happened. But after that, that was always Buddy Neal's corner down there. And Buddy didn't like it. My grandpa said it, Buddy didn't like it a bit. But uh, from then on, that was Buddy Neal's corner. Anybody get down there in that end of the arena, he'd say they were in Buddy Neal's corner. <laughs> Buddy Neal's son, Sandy, hired me for a rodeo one time in Coleman, Texas. But Buddy Neal didn't want to travel that much. And Buddy Neal was always mounting kids on expensive horses and helping kids. But like Troy Fort and all those guys said, when Buddy Neal showed up, you had to beat him. 
but he didn't want to travel. He was busy ranching and he was busy into kids and he was a great, great, wonderful man and a world champion. He just didn't travel that much. But boy, when he did, he won. His percentages are way up there, you know? Yeah. Then there was another announcer up north that I'm sure you knew or knew of was Eddie Hanna. Eddie Hanna, didn't he announce the first uh, finals, Eddie Hanna? You know, I don't know. He could have, and I I don't know. I hadn't thought of that. That's that's true. He probably did. Bill Harlan schooled me on all that. Bill Harlan sent me programs, and he schooled me on all that. So that year that we had the national finals, and we were looking for opening ceremonies, and I got together with J.B. Watley and the guys out at Hobbs, New Mexico, and I said, let's bring Wild Bill and introduce him in the arena. You know, that meant more to Bill Harlan, I think, than anything, and he needed the recognition for stepping up to the plate and losing a lot of money, but the father of the national final steer opening, and he got a standing ovation. That was a great time for me, great time for Bill Harlan. I loved him. He, he was in that old stud that he rode, that big old black twister tip. Right. Uh, what a, all that horse, AQHA, I mean, had a butt on him, shoulders on him. He looked like the picture, poster child of the American quarter horse and the stud, and Harley was mounted on him. Harley was a little bitty guy, and he was mounted on that big stud, and boy, he could trip cattle. And he had the high-top boots, too, and usually wore a little bandana and a black hat. He was pretty flashy, too. Always. Uh, the set down, and I've sat down a many an hour with Bill Harlan. He judged rodeos, too, in these latter years. And I've sat down and took a many an hour just listening to Bill Harlan. And I could kick myself in the butt, guys, for not having a recorder with Ben Johnson, Bill Harlan. But I didn't think about it. You know, I didn't think about it. Well, we lost that, and it's all left in my memory. But I got a pretty good memory. I don't know where Bill got the name Wild Bill, but I think it was Everett Shaw said that he had to water at night so he wouldn't see his shadow and run off. That's how wild he was. <laughs> that's good. That's good, you know. That's good. <laughs> I told I go down through the years, and what are your favorite moments, Charlie? I don't know. I told Rocky Patterson one year at the lady, I said, you're going to win the world. He said, how do you know? I said, it's in your eyes. And he said, and he, Rocky looked at me like I'm crazy. Well, he won the anyone world. with a set of two eyes could tell that man was fixing to do something major because, uh, he could just out-rope everybody. And his boy can out-rope everybody, too. I saw him a few years ago at a Osage roping in the bees here in the little indoor arena. And I didn't see him again for several years, but I saw him rope one steer there. And for about two or three years after that, anyone that would listen to me when we were talking about steer roping, I'd say, boy, howdy, that boy of Rocky Patterson's might be one of the best ropers I've ever seen as far as just an all-around ever. roper, and he's an athlete on top of it. And, uh, you know, he's got all the training he needs. I mean, he's he's a monster. Last month after he won, won the world, did you go home and celebrate after you won the world? I bet there was a big celebration. He said, yeah, went out and built fence to fix water gaps the next day. That's how lucrative that was, you know. He said, I don't pay any attention to that. I just go and win the money. And he really, really didn't. Goes out and builds fence the next day. He's not going to celebrate Rocky Patterson. It's just another day. And that makes him tough. Makes him a great act, you know. You know what but, makes uh, you rope real good? <laughs> Building fence. Makes you rope way better. I don't rope too that, good that, to do this. <laughs> I hate fixing water gaps. I'd rather do anything in the world. But there's so many great memories down. I had a national finals guy ask me, I'm not going to say his name, and he was having a bad day, and I'm, I'm at a steer roping, and the announcer stand is facing them. Okay, so they're coming out. 
I'm not to the side I'm facing them. He said, what am I doing wrong? I said, you're roping offset. You're not a team roper, you're a tripper. What do you mean? What do you mean? You rope that steer directly behind him. When you when you rope him slick around the horns, the trip's there. You're trying to rope offset like a team roper. Your trip is not there. And first of all, you're mad at your horse, and he's trying to put you in the right position, but you're steering him wrong. He got mad at me. I said, you asked me my opinion, and I told you. That's how it is. I see things that other people may not see. I'm perceptive at that because I've seen a lot of them. Thousands of runs, thousands of runs. You know, you get repetition in your mind. What is the great run? You know, there's three jerks and tripping. Some guys can rope offset him if he's near the wall or the fence. Very few can do it. Guy, Guy Allen could do it. Scott Snedeker could do it. Rocky can do it. But Snedeker, but there's very few that can rope offset. And get your trip at the same time. And get your trip. Yep. Yeah. You know, and uh, well, you've got to learn how to. My difficulty trying to quit a horse, Cody, and I don't know how you guys ever did. You know, you ever got caught in the V of the rope and it, and it bruised your thigh? Oh, yeah. I got a permanent callus on my thigh right there. Um, I never could quit one. All like the way to the boat. Yeah, I mean, it hurt. And I, and Monroe was trying to teach me how to quit one. I, and I was slow. I'm a big guy. I'm slow. But I, I've always wondered how you guys did that. You do it at an angle, don't you? You do it at an angle. You 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 get that trip and you start quitting at an angle because you're going to get caught in the beat. Well, Charlie, um, I learned to uh, the old way where they made me get trapped on my rope underneath my rope and saddle horn. And <laughs> what you do funny. is if you can get your ankle out, the, the the end of your foot out, and just straighten your leg, no matter how tight that is. Your leg will come out, Charlie, and you will have a great big, deep, deep, deep bruise if you do it very many times until you just learn how to do it where it don't bother you. That's right. You jerk. You rope with a horse with a jerk line, haven't you? We don't see many jerk lines, but well, I did rope with a jerk line at one time. It just depended on the horse. If I was afraid that horse. You know, just carrying the jerk line a lot of times, he knew it was on there, so I didn't have to use it. But the the one time I would maybe take it off, he knew it wasn't on there, just like a smart horse. You know what I mean, Charlie? And uh, he knew it wasn't on there, so he might not stop right when he needs to. So that's the only I, reason I, I carry I got a question for you two guys. And the PRCA is not listening. I don't think they're not going to find me. <laughs> I got an opinion. Uh, Jimbo, yes. you an advocate of the one-loop rule? Oh, not really, uh, but with the one headers and stuff that they have now, there's no reason to, to have two loops, and and uh, and some of the arenas are so small, you get down there, you know, you've already hit the back end of the arena before you got your other loop out. But, buddy, you buddy, know. advocate of the one loop? Me? Um, it depends on the setup. I, I'm just an advocate of where they have a rope, and I'm glad they're having it, Charlie, but... Uh, I do see that the steer ropers are giving up a lot of concessions, a lot of places, and I just hate to see them give. Well, at the national finals, they steer carry two 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 loops in the calf roping. I can tell you that right now. Um, yeah, I mean, if we're going to open up a can of worms, but that's what I do. Yeah, I'm pretty that's sure it's job. on the uh, <laughs> the directors of the sport that that make the rules for each finals, Charlie. So, um, you know, if anybody has a problem with it, they need to contact whoever the director of the steer roping is now. So. You know, it, 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 we attribute that to roping smaller cattle today, okay? But, you know, so my biggest to... gripe, if I'm going to be griping, is um, 
you know, them running the steer roping completely, first two go-rounds the same day, one week before Cheyenne starts, you know. Um, that's the concession I wish they wouldn't have gave up taking us out of the performances there because that's really the only thing steer ropers had, in my opinion, is, you know, we, uh, we're in the performances at Cheyenne, the biggest rodeo in the world, but now they're basically done a week before the rodeo starts, two weeks before the short round. I would like to see more promotion in the national finals, steer roping and the rope trip and tie to educate people. I don't know if it'll ever happen. I've been an advocate of it a long time. Uh, and I, I want it more, more advertised for people. We need to create more new fans, young fans for it. We're, we're creating with the money up nowadays. We're creating more enthusiasm from young steer ropers. And I like that. We have the permit sessions, which I think is a great innovative idea, but we need to create a new fan base because some of our older guys that got into the Calcutta that wore the khaki pants, the white shirts in San Angelo have died off. Well, what do, what do you think when, you know, Tough Cooper, he's roping steers, Taylor Santos, oh, Coleman Proctor made a big splash out at Cheyenne. They got a large fan base. What do you think about bringing some of their fans in? Do you think that's a good, you think that's a good thing, Charlie? I think an admirable idea, you know. I, I love Tough Cooper. He ropes in an unorthodox mood. Uh, in a way, he ropes is not fundamentally right. And I told him, he, we were talking, laughing one day. I said, Tuffy would be schooling on you. Because uh, Tuffy was the professor of the rope. But he has an unorthodox style, and not everybody can rope like that. He trips steers like he's roping calves. But you know what? He's won money doing it. So more power to him. Who's I, who am I to say you have an unorthodox style? What I do over the microphone, because he does. Well, best uh, I remember, but, his dad had an unorthodox style too, roping steers, and they, <laughs> they changed some rules just because of Roy Cooper and the steer roping after he won the world, I believe. And Sean, I, I you know, I, I saw it in Sheridan, Wyoming, many years ago when I was young. I saw the turnover, and I was announcing the Walt Arnolds and some of those guys, and then I saw the Shans and those guys coming up. Sean and, uh, and Roy and all of that stuff. And I went, they're going to revolutionize the sport. And then the cattle started getting smaller and then the rules changed. And those are the guys that saw the transition for your era, Cody. They saw the transition of it and they got faster and they got better. I didn't say they were more consistent, did I? They're not. You know, but Sean Burchett, he was tying these big steers in the 80s that fast you know it was um, and he, he he wasn't around for the big change to me charlie the big big steer roping change that happened besides sean burchett revolutionizing the sport with a new style is uh when mac altizer started supplying cattle back in the 90s and they got mac so little was and it got so fast mac altizer i worked his run one year i was deaf after i worked that run because it was so loud but he was the innovator of rodeo, and he had a great string of bucking horses and bulls and even set, but he loved the timed events, and everybody had even cattle. There will never be another Mac Altizer that was an advocate of every rodeo event and promoted every rodeo event, including steer roping, because he was a steer roper too. He was a great innovator of it. And then he was one of those guys, again, that helped revolutionize steer roping when the younger guys started getting faster but everybody today and they think well charlie's a know-it-all everybody says i see a lot of cattle wasted today 
rope a consistent go-around. You don't have to be out there trying to break a world record. Rope consistent in the round, and then you'll be in the average. But they waste cattle sometimes trying to be too fast. They'll get worried about Trevor, you know, roping one and uh, eight one. And instead of worrying about that, worry about what you're doing and rope the round and the average will take care of itself. You'll be in the average, the aggregate total. Not everybody can rope like Trevor and Guy and all those guys, uh, or Cole Patterson. But, you know, I think you, you have to concentrate on the task at hand and stay in the average. The money pays, but the rounds are pretty good too, so there you go. Yeah, at the NFR right now, I, I think that's one reason probably the average is probably a null and void thing anymore because there's so much money to be won, and uh, you only have that one loop, but you need to get it on out of your hand and take a lower percentage shot, I feel like, and trying to win that money at the NFR. What do you think about that, Charlie? I do. I, I agree. Uh, I retired from the national final stir opening in 2019. They gave me a painting and they said, turn around. I turned around and I cried. And it was Trevor and Guy Allen and Roger Patterson, and Scott Snedeker. And it was a reason they gave me this painting because I, ha- I had handed Trevor his first world buckle in tripping, Scott his first bur- buckle in world tripping, Rocky his first world buckle in tripping. And I handed Guy Allen his buckle when he broke Jim Shoulder's record. So they made this painting for me, and I cried like a baby. And it was, it's, a, it's one of my cherished possessions. And, I, I, you know, but I miss it. Would I ever come out of retirement? I don't know. I miss it so bad. And maybe I retired premature. But I, I would love to do it maybe one more time before I die. <laughs> you know, I don't know. You should be I doing it every know. year from now on until you die, Charlie. Uh, my favorite steer roping announcer is, is Kurt. And I told Kurt that. I said, if I'm a fan sitting in the audience, I want to listen to you. McSpadden was a great storyteller. I've announced with McSpadden on, on numerous occasions. He knew steer roping. He was a great historian and storyteller. Kurt is a great statistician. I try to combine the best of both, but I love to hear listen to Kurt Robinson. I think he's the greatest steer roping announcer of all time. And that's my opinion, and I should know it. But I, I love those guys. And I'm not – Hadley Barrett was a great partner. He and I announced the national finals together. He was a fun guy and knew steer roping. Hadley was fun. And I've announced with a lot of guys that they've all been really, really good. Or they wouldn't be there. But I think Kurt would be my favorite and McSpadden my favorite storyteller. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think Kurt's the greatest time event announcer there is. And then Charlie's you know, number two. Right. Right. Okay. There you go. Okay. You're right I there. Mean, I, I'd have a hard time picking a favorite, be honest with you, Charlie. But. Well, me too. I mean, and I, and I've asked that, and I said, well, I'm not demeaning my colleagues because I've got a lot of colleagues out there I've worked with over the years. And I didn't mean, I didn't set my goal to break McSpadden's consecutive record. It just happened. It was sad after I did it. I didn't want to break my hero's record of consecutive trips. It just happened. But you know what? He'd have been proud. He'd have, said, he'd have patted me on the back. Good for you. Because that's how McSpadden was. He didn't look at records that much on what we did. He concentrated on the contestants. Because the announcers aren't the stars. It's the contestants. And these young announcers need to learn that. You're not the star. You're selling the greatest product in the world and the cowboy. They're the stars. Amen. Amen. And 
And uh, they're, a lot of these guys are actually becoming stars, Charlie. Um, you know, with the Cowboy Channel. There's actual cowboys. they got actual fan bases now. You know, they just don't know about the rodeo. They come to see part of these guys, I feel like. What, what, what do you think about the Cowboy Channel and the direction it's shooting? Just the Western well, way of life and rodeo all, all, all together. We've always needed television, and we had ESPN for years. And, it, you know, they had your good ratings on ESPN, but they put us – I remember working – One o'clock in the morning. Yeah, the short round at Lawton, the tour rodeo. We had San Vic and all of them in the short round. I mean, it was as good as you want to watch. And everybody's excited because we're, we're on ESPN. It was Cape Belay, and they put us on at 2 o'clock in the morning. What kind of television is that? So when the Cowboy Channel came along and started getting good numbers and everybody was skeptical, but you know that it's been such a shot in the arm for rodeo. It's created a new fan base, all worldwide, worldwide fan base. And that's what we needed a long time ago, guys. We needed that. Somebody was laughing at me the other day. They're watching Woodward, and I'm doing the play-by-play, and I'm doing announcing. And I get on Riley Duval. I started naming every Duval I've ever announced, and they got to laughing at me. And I said, I've announced Bill Duval and Roy Duval and Spud and all Tom. And I went down to the whole family tree, and everybody was laughing. Same. But I said, yeah, fans. I said, you got to be fans. We had fans of Roy and Bill. And we and Spud and Sam and all those guys, and now we got Riley. But we're, we, it, you know, you you can't make fun of me when I had fans of Roy and, and, and Bill. But they said, "God, you're old." Well, you know, I've been there. But we had fans growing up. Cody, you had fans. Jimbo, you you were a fan. Uh, so we got to create that new fan base, which is exciting for the young people. And the runs that Cole Patterson are making, and and uh, and Slade. That's exciting for the young people. It's exciting for the old guys like me. It, it produces fresh blood. And probably, I'm old school, but we need the fresh blood coming in. And it's a turnover. It's a turnover, guys. It, it's human nature. It's a turnover. Some of the guys are getting older now, and the turnover's coming, and the young guys are coming, and you're not going to stop them. It's kind of weird for me, guys like Slade and Cole, because uh, I pretty much remember these kids as, you know, <laughs> What I oh, was, sure. it, you know, I was a, a kid playing underneath the announcers, not the announce stand, but all the grandstands, you know, eating mud, picking my nose and roping the dummy. And, uh, you know, that's what these kids are for me. Now they're the best in the world, you know. Uh, I just saw them grow up. It's it's really a great thing. And I, I love the uh, the family connection with our sport, too. You know, the multi-generational guys that you see, you know, Three generations, four generations of uh, national final steer ropers and things like that. Sure, sure. You know, I used to take uh, Sage Kimsey when he was a little bitty boy. I'd bounce him on my knee and I'd pick on him and I'd I'd hold him upside down and I'd pick on him. And now look at him, seven-time world champion. Uh, and I said, God, that makes me feel old. But what a great memory of the kids growing up. You know, when we were all had our trailers parked together. We're, we're rodeos a family. Uh, the steer roping guys are a family. They're a family to me. I know most of them's wives and all the kids, most of the horses. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, that, that's my job to study that. Rocky Patterson said, I'll give you one compliment, and that's all I'm going to give you. <laughs> and he grinned. You know how Rocky can grin? He said, you're not too good to work slack. You work slack because you love it, and you work slack because it makes you the best. I work slack because I learned the horses and I learned the guys. I, I work slack. 
And a lot of our young announcers, I don't want to work slack. Well, why? Why don't you work slack and you'll learn you're not too good not to work slack. Charlie works slack. Therefore, the repetition runs of the guys. You learn real quick their horses, their styles, and what they do. Do you not? Think about it. Yep. Charlie, you mentioned Sonny Davis there earlier, and he was a hero of mine, too. How big a star with the Cowboy Channel and stuff now, how big a star would he be now in his prime? My God. You know, the big men, they would be in awe. He didn't look like he was doing it that fast. He was just that damn smooth. Uh, Sometimes Tuffy Cooper taught me something a long time ago in our long, in-depth conversations. Tuffy Cooper. I called him the professor of the rope. He said, in order to be fast, sometimes you got to slow down. Jim, Jim, go ahead. Sonny didn't make any mistakes. He had a fluid run. He just wasn't going to make any mistakes. His money was tight back then. He, he and Jim Bob Altizer, you know, shared horses. That Woo Geller, they shared him. Run the world on them. And uh, they were smart. Jim Bob Altizer didn't make mistakes. Great match roper, great tripper, great calf roper. They didn't make mistakes. They they were so fluid and, and, and repetitive in their runs. I take them as the poster child for perfection. Yeah, and perfection. Olin, you'd have to throw Olin Young in there, too. Olin Young was one of my favorites of all time for Walter to Mexico, live in Louisiana now. Right. He was the perfectionist, I guess, of them all. Uh, it, you're throwing some names at me now. Olin Young. We forgot about Olin Young. Why should we forget about Olin Young? We shouldn't. Uh, one of the greatest of all time ever. We did a podcast with him the other day, Charlie. Did you? I bet that was great, wasn't it? It was, and people loved it all over the country. He got more likes and shares, you can imagine. You take those ropers back then and uh, uh, exciting ropers down through the years. Uh, Harry Lynn is no longer with us. Charlie Lynn was a great roper. Who am I leaving out, Cody? I mean, I could go on and on and on <laughs> about different guys. Uh you know who's one of the greatest ropers I ever saw, Charlie, ever in my life. And I've seen a lot of ropers, not as many as you. J.D. Yates. Just as far as just a, being a pure roper, being able to rope anything. J.D. Yates and uh, Bobby Harris are two of my favorite guys to rope just as being well, pure ropers. We're at the National Final Steer Roping in Hobbs, New Mexico, and we got a lunch. And we're on a golf course eating hamburgers. That was our lunch at the time, which was a, was a fun place. And JD said, I got to get, I'm traveling back and forth to the world show. Oklahoma City, I got a jet because I have a lot of horses in the world show. You know, he trains a lot of horses. Yeah. He was going back and forth. And so he and I got on the golf court cart and we got our hamburger. And he said, You know, I got to get gone and then I'll fly back and I'll be back tonight. I said, You're burning the candle at both ends. He said, I can make it work. He won the average that year. And then he had Trey with him, was a little boy then. And I said, he's going to be a future superstar. I hope we're working with him. And now look at him. He won the average of the national finals in the team roping. He's amazing. So it, it evolved, didn't it? So I got a lot of great memories with, with Gates. Bobby Harris, known him forever. His father was a great tripper. Nick, you want to go back to the, to the days of Nick Harris? Great tripper. What about the time to be working it, Charlie? Who's some of the greatest guys you've seen go go through the timed event? It changed. You got to see good team ropers because they had space. 
the Thomas and Mac Arena runs team roping to me. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be vocal now. I, I probably shouldn't say this. I well, it's good watching this. for sure, but yeah. Uh, the, the lady you had the proximity and the width of the arena to watch team roping as an art. Uh, Bob Price was a great colleague. I worked here for about five years at Feist, and uh, we got to see some enormous things. We got to see guys that bulldog that didn't normally bulldog that would drive that fender till eternity, till they made a commitment. But you know what? They did it, and they're iron men. But to see guys like Trevor and them really show the athletic prowess on head and healing and tripping and calf roping and bulldogging, they can do it all. Great cowboys can do it all. You know, you know that guy that calls and checks on me a lot, and I've been battling cancer for two years, and I'm finally in remission right now, but I'll never be 100%. And one of my best friends that calls me every week to check on me, other than Guy Allen, is Kenny Call. And Kenny is a great historian of it, and he said, I want to tell you what, I don't consider myself a great cowboy, even though I won the world, and I went to the national final steer roping 12 times. He said, I considered the Olin Youngs the greatest that ever lived. He said, but great cowboys, great cowboys will step up to the plate when needed to win. To win, you have to have the winning attitude, and they're winners, and there's mediocre guys, and there's guys that don't win. But those guys know how to compensate bad cattle, good cattle, Horses that scotch you'll need to step up to the plate in a consistent basis every day and win. That what is what makes Cowboys. Oh, a true statement. Well, yeah, Kenny, one of the best Cowboys to ever live. He just kind of quit one day, moved to California, it seemed like. I'm Did sitting in my recliner at my place one time, the place I, I just sold, and I'm sitting there in a the recliner phasing there making lunch. And I'm about half asleep watching television in my recliner. I got a big old patio door, and there's a knock on the door, and it startled me. Man, I looked up, and there's Kenny Call. I said, what the hell are you doing here from California? And he said, come to visit you. I said, how do you know where I live? He said, well, dummy, everybody in Johnson County knows you. <laughs> so... I said, I told Faye, I said, don't feed Kenny for a week, he'll stay. <laughs> no, he's a great, great, I love Jim Call, too. Jim broke till he was about 85. Uh, but me and Kenny go back so many years, I was going to match rope him one time, and my wife said, you know, you're an idiot. And I said, why? To match rope Kenny Call, you? <laughs> well, I think we had too many cocktails at the time. I did anyway, but there you go. That'll happen every now and then. Especially when you're hanging out with Charlie like it did me that one time right. that I drank too much, Got Jimbo. You in trouble. <laughs> that one yeah, time. You and Tom, but you and Rocky, I'd love to. We need to do that again, being here and your dad. And I, I'd like to have Jimbo in there just to set up and tell stories and learn. Because I can learn from Rocky Patter, uh, Rocky Patterson, Rocky Garnett, and, uh, and, and you guys. Uh, what a pleasure it is knowing you guys. Because y'all are like family of me and very knowledgeable. I mean, hey, you're rodeo, right? Right. Well, that's all I know, Charlie. I grew up in a rodeo family. I really didn't think there was anything more to life than really rodeo or anything that had to do with rodeo, you know? Now, Jimbo, I bragged on Cody. He was in the biggest short round in the world in San Antonio, Texas, and I bragged on him. I love him. But, boy, we got to teach him how to back a trailer. I know it, I know it. I think there's probably several things you don't do real well, but I'm glad that we got this on tape. You guys are great promoters in our sport. We need guys like you to keep it alive. 
preserve the history, but yet be an avenue for the young people coming up. And I'm sorry if I was opinionated today. I'm that kind of a guy. I'm opinionated, but I love stirruping so much with a passion. And you have to love anything that you're good at. You have to love it. And I love the sport with a passion. And the stirropers know that. And it's just an art. It is the true Cowboys event to me. It's an, it's an event that takes a good horse, perseverance. You can't get in a big hurry. You got to have smarts between your ears in order to win. Steer roping. Charlie, I love it so much. I built a museum around steer roping pretty much. I know you did. Up I need to come Alaska. up there. Yeah, you got to get up here and check yeah. it out. You're going to love it. That'll give me cold shells when I see Ben Johnson and the stories he told me. Some I can't tell you on the air. Uh, funny things that happened to him. Uh, quick story for Ben Johnson. I know you guys got to go, but uh, he's at the Cow Palace and he's in the short round of the calf rope. And this is back in uh, oh late 50s, maybe 1960. And that year, Reggie has this mare, and Ben wants a seat on her. He said, I'm leading the average. Kind of like the Phil Lyons story. And then year, Reggie said, I don't want you riding my mare. She's bagged up. Gold colts are sucking. and You know, she's got a big old belly on her. And he, Ben said, I, Andy, Andy boy, I need to ride that mare. I can win this damn thing. Cow <laughs> Palace in San Francisco. And finally, Reggie said, all right, Ben. Called him son. All right, son. You can ride the mare, but she. The, here's the only thing you cannot swat her with a rope. You cannot do that. And if I catch you doing that, it's going to be bad news. Ben said, you know what? Let me go saddle the mare. By golly, I know how to ride a horse. <laughs> he said, I'm back in the box. Side Taylor's going on about a movie actor and a world champion cowboy. Well, hell, I'm 10 foot tall. I reached down, I nodded, she scotches on me, and I over and undered her. And she was bagged up and tender, and she ran away with me three times around the arena. <laughs> Rocky and bits in her mouth, and she is mad. She was PO'd. Ben said there wasn't no stopping when a Ray is about to have a heart attack. Ben said, I was pretty athletic at the time, Charlie Boy. I just bailed off of her. <laughs> he said, he said, how embarrassed was I? And Cy Thelen, Cy Thelen said, well, apparently he has good days and bad days, but he has been a world champion. And <laughs> <laughs> said, uh, you, you, to get embarrassed, he said, them that ain't been burned with a rope, them that ain't been bucked off, and them that ain't never been embarrassed is them that ain't never done it. That's right. Take that into consideration, like us missing that go around that time or missing that average at the national finals. It happens to everybody. Everybody's everybody's human. But boy, what a great lesson to learn. If they haven't done those kind of things, they ain't never done it. Well, you don't know till you learn a hard lesson, pretty much. There's no uh, rule book for some of this stuff. There's going to be mistakes made by Snedeker and those guys. Today, they're going to make mistakes in a run because they're human. They just don't make many of them. Did you see that run of Scott Snedeker the other day at the Spicer oh. Grip? Woo, buddy. My God. Tied the bottom My leg on the Lord. right side and spit him out. I go down there at Corpus Christi one time. I'm now tripping down there. So Walter Priest is going to work cattle. We're all going to go out there and help him. Then we're going to hog hunt. You keep big stakes. Me and Scott Snedeker and uh, 
Ziggy Bland, John Bland, and uh, we had, uh, I don't know, there's a bunch of us. And we worked all them cattle that, that morning, and we went hog hunting. But to work, watch those guys dragging calves to the fire, they weren't just rodeo cowboys. They were real cowboys that day, and I watched them myself with my own eyes. I had ear tags. I had an easy job. But John Bland's a cash rate cattle quickly, more quickly than anybody ever seen with a razor knife. And then Snedeker was dragging them to the fire. And all these guys down there, it was an art. And then one old cow jumped the fence, and, uh, and Cody Lee and uh, Snedeker went after in a dead run in the pasture, and they roped her. I said, that's cowboy stuff right there. That's cowboy stuff. And you've never lived till you go sort cattle with Cody Lee because he mumbles and you can't understand him. No. He's a heck of a roper. I remember watching, I, I watched him rope in his very first steer roping ever. It was at uh, over there in Poolville, Texas. He came up there with uh, Jason Cooper. Yeah. The rope oh, at Doug Dugan's house. <laughs> he and called I, me one day. He had a place over seven miles from me. He said, I need some help sorting. It won't take long. I said, okay, let me get ready. And I've come over there. You want me to help you sort some yearlings? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I'm, I'm short-handed. I get over there and it's just me and Cody. I said, how many we got? He said, we got about 353 mama cows. <laughs> 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 so he, he mumbles and the wind's blowing. He's got a spiral notepad in his pocket. He's writing things down. And you cannot understand a word he says when he turns his back to you because he mumbles. Uh-huh. I wanted to kill him. But I helped him. We got him done. So there you go. That's what neighbors do. What about his father-in-law, Robin Bland? Oh, my God. They broke the mold and they made him. We like the heck out of him up here. He fits in up here in Osage County. He makes me laugh. He's an entertainer. He needs his own television show. I think he might need one. He might need one. <laughs> hey, Charlie, he was telling me about announcing some of the Ben Johnson uh, team mm-hmm. ropings and stuff. Who's who's some of the uh, movie stars that might surprise you that are actually a pretty good roper? I thought Bruce Boxlight did rope really good head cattle. Uh, Johnny Crawford was certainly a hand with a rope on a given day. Uh, Box Lightner, let me think of other things. We had George Strait at the time that wrote really what George wrote's good anyway. Was out in LA and he wrote really, really well. Had Mel Coleman, Healing Boy, the old Bronc writer. Yeah. Uh, Larry Wilcox could heal fair, you know. Uh, God, I, you, you caught me off guard there, but I, Box Lightner and Crawford were pretty good. Oh, uh, uh, uh Larry Tubb could really rope. Because he was a major world champion, but what he started, and then he got into the movies, and uh, but Barry could really rope. So uh, he, we even had Camarillo, some of those pro ams, you know. But Boxleitner was was very adapted at, at heading cattle, and Crawford was a natural born cowboy. Crawford wanted to be a cowboy, you know, but uh, a great actor that that took it serious at one time in his life, and God rest his soul, he died last year. But he was a good hand. Good hand. There's so many down through the years that would surprise you on a run, you know. Uh, uh, we had Casey Tibbs that traveled with us and all that. and fun stuff. And uh, Ben and the, some of the ladies of the uh, Autistic Foundation in Houston sent me and Casey to do some PR work. And Casey was good at PR. Man, he was good. 
But when we went out to eat, that Casey Tibbs came out at him, okay? <laughs> he had a whoopee cushion. <laughs> and we're in a five-star restaurant and hotel. And Casey's got that whoopee cushion, and he embarrasses me so bad. And he never cracked a smile. And everybody's turning around looking. <laughs> <laughs> he was a megastar in his day, wasn't he? Yeah, and I, I called Jim Shoulders and Harry Tompkins. You know, Harry Tompkins started being a bit, and I called him. I told him what he did. He they said, oh, hell, you should have been with him when he did the real thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you grew up around Harry. You mentioned Harry Tompkins. You kind of grew up around him, I guess. Uh, what would he think of the bull riding today, Charlie, the PBR and all that stuff? He would he would admire the, the ranked bulls, and he would get mad when people said, well, the bulls in their area weren't as ranked as the Bulls today, but there's just more ranked Bulls. Right. Now, when Harry rode the great uh, stack of butlers, uh, hey guys, I'm on the air. So, uh, I said, when he when he rode, Benny Butler was a kid when he rode Speck and Amarillo, one of the greatest bull riders of all time. And he's bucking spin so hard, just like any of the PBR Bulls. Right. So again, if Stolers and Tompkins had to ride those kind of Bulls today, they could they would adapt to the situation because, again, what I say, Jimbo, they're winners. Right, right. Jimbo was but telling me the other day. It, uh, I'm sorry, Charlie. Jimbo was telling me the other day that if it wasn't for Harry Tompkins, uh, old Jim, <clears throat> Jim Shoulders would have won a lot more. He'd have won 10 world championships. And if it wasn't for Jim Shoulders, I think Harry would have won seven or eight because they finished first and second all through the 50s, you know. I bet. Harry to go to a rodeo with me. I was working for Jim Shoulders back in the day, and I invited Harry to go with me. I don't want to go. I said, Jim's producing a rodeo. Been around him for 50 years. Don't want to look at him now. I said, come <laughs> on, Tompkins. Get in the car, and you're going to go with me. So he went. So, again, I should have had the recorder. I had Jim Shoulders and Harry Tompkins in my hotel room at a Ramada Inn telling stories. And he looked at him, and he said, you little Yankee son of a you-know-what. I'd be worth a lot more money if it wasn't for you. And Harry looked at him and he said, that's because I could outride you. <laughs> and this was the friendly rivalry. They loved one another. But boy, did they bash one another too. And it was, I figured it out was tough love. And I figured those two out. No, the greatest of all time. Yesterday was a sad day for me, but a good day for me. I went to church yesterday with Martha Tompkins Jordan. And we had a, a great lunch, her and her husband, Larry Jordan, after church. And I had NFR back number one that's been hanging in my house for years that Harry had given me. And I told him yesterday, and I had tears in my eyes, I said, it's time that I can't be selfish and keep this in my home. I want to take it to Colorado Springs. And we all cried, and that's where it's going. NFR back number one, 1960, Dallas, Texas, Harry Tompkins. Me and now, Jimbo. What a proud possession. I don't want to be selfish. I want the public to right, see it. Right. Me and Jimbo saw back number one from 59 the other day, hanging up on uh, MP's wall over there in Shoulders. Yeah. Uh huh. They said they were, uh, he, he told us the whole story about it. They didn't even know they had it, and they were digging around through some old stuff, and, and his mom saw it. And he said, well, I'd sure like to have that, Mom. And uh, he got it for Christmas from him right there one year. That's uh, one of the Funny one. story I'll tell you about shoulders. I'm working for him years ago, and I'm pretty young, you know, and he's paying me, starting me out. He's paying me that much, but I, he'd hammer on me about a price, called me Victrola. 
So he said, Mick Crowley, you come over here, and that old gal that carries the flag of the National Anthem has been doing it for 45 years here. You go tell her we want to change it up. I said, I really don't want to. He said, you get your butt over there right now, and you tell her we're going to change it up. Well, I'm scared because this old gal's pretty rough. And uh, so I go over there in my hat in my hand. I said, ma'am, you're so beautiful on that paint horse. I said, but I've got an idea to change this opening ceremony where you will take him in a dead run after I make this big, long speech, and it will show your beauty and your riding ability, and you will be under a spotlight, and you're gorgeous. She said, Mr. Charlie, I love the idea. Jim Shoulders is behind the porta potty giving me a hand gesture. <laughs> I called him. I said, I never did think Jim would be a chicken but he was a chicken that day because he wanted me to go third instead of him. <laughs> That's a true story. If Sharon was still here, she could tell you that story. But anyway, we laughed about that. I said, you sent me to the lion's den. Well, Victrola, I knew you'd have some smooth words. And I did. I had that, I had that gal eating out of my hand, and she did a good job. She did a good job with opening ceremony. She did. We just wanted to change it, and she had been doing the same thing 45 years. True story about Jim Shoulders. How many rodeos are you announcing this year, Charlie? Not very many. I'm on a limited schedule. I'm not able to go hard anymore for my health. Uh, I've had cancer in my sinus cavity next to my brain. I've had 35 uh, proton radiations at MD Anderson. I've had more chemo than a man can stand. I'm taking a Cortuda drug right now to keep me alive. I've had it in my lungs. I've had it in my liver. I've had it in my lymph nodes. And right now I'm in remission. So I thank the good Lord every day. And does he have a plan for me? I think he does. Preach the word of God, give a prayer at the rodeo, and be a good announcer. I think to talk to the masses of people like I'm doing today, he's allowed me to do that. Uh, I talk to him. I don't ask him for any special favors. I get up every morning, pull on my boots, and give thanks for those things in which I have, and I've been blessed. Not everybody gets to announce the national final stair opening 20 times. Thank you, Lord, for my career and my life. And if I go tomorrow, I have no regrets. Hey, I know you got some sponsors, Charlie. Who, who, uh, who are all, who's all your sponsors? My great sponsor for years has been Wrangler and then Randy Watson Boots, my brand-new sponsor. I got, came on board with him. About two years ago, makes the high-quality boots. Uh, I've done some uh, things with him, some commercials. We're going to do more. And he's really coming on strong. Uh, he's uh, got a bunch of Canadian bronc riders wearing his stuff now. And, and a lot of people say, where did you get those boots? Well, they have a great uh, sole to them. They have a steel shank surrounded by cushion and they support you, and they're, they're great boots, and I can go on and on about them. But that's my sponsors, Ranger and R. Watson Boots. Check out the websites. You'll be glad you did. Hey, I'm going to get away from steer roping for a second. What do you think about these right boys? Brothers, dads, uncles? How many of them are there, Charlie? Do you know anything that we don't about the whole deal? I've never seen anything seven, like it. I had about seven of them one time down at Mercedes at the rodeo, and Larry Mahan was down there who I know really, really well. And uh, he was doing some PR for a, a Western store down there. And they wanted me to bring out the rights in the opening ceremony. And every one of them, every one of them was so nice. I'll be glad to help. 
This is what makes champions. That didn't say, I don't have time for that. But they said, I'll be glad to stop what we're doing and help. And so I don't know. I had six or seven of them introduced. And they came out there and then Larry Mahan and the right said, that's our hero, Larry Mahan. I said, well, he kind of likes you guys too. So they got acquainted. And uh, I love the right guys because they didn't have to do that. They could have told me they'd have declined. We don't have time. But they did. That's the kind of people that makes our sport. Just like their predecessor, Larry Mahan, that bent over backwards to do PR. He helped himself and he helped rodeo. I've had great champions. I'm not going to. I'm not going to name their names right now that would decline to go sign an autograph for a special person or decline to go do a little PR. But the rights are good for rodeo. Larry Mahan was good for rodeo. You see what I'm getting at? You have to promote the sport in which you make your living. Don't forget, stardom and world champions are fleeting. The fans will always be there. Well, they seem like good guys. Yeah. They sure do. Boy, they can they ride. I've never seen it. They're all going to be – how many of them has been world champions? All Four them, or five of them? I don't even all know. All them blue shirts, and they all look alike. I mean, it's the daggum thing I've ever seen. It's I got them in March that Eric Mercedes because Houston's going on and Austin's going on, and Mercedes this next year is – it's a huge rodeo, and they're going about 15000 added next year. And they're, they'll be on tour. Probably one of my better rodeos where they sub the guys, they sub the Canadian bucking horses. And so those rats, they show up and those kind of guys in the bronc riding. And then when you get stats in the bull ride, it's outstanding. It's a, you know, I mean, I set it up. I don't have to set up much because they're going to do the rest and people know their names and the Spanish community down there, the greatest rodeo fans in the world. They understand me. They call me Carlos, and they're packed, 7,000 people a night. And those are the type of rodeos that are coming to the forefront. We've seen rodeos come and go down through the years, and then we see the new rodeos. It's not a new rodeo, but it's been around, but now they're coming to the forefront. Boy, do we need more of those with adding money. But the PRCA needs to remember two guys, and Harry Bowl would have told you that. Harry Bowl taught me something a long time ago. He's a child. My God, let me tell you something now. He said, you need the little ones to go with the big ones. And don't forget the little rodeos, because if you do, you're in trouble. Yep. Well, everybody knows that. They've already tried another rodeo association without the little rodeos and without the entire uh, membership back in a, an association. It just doesn't work. You know, they had the best in the business trying to go do their own thing and it just didn't work out because they didn't have a membership and they didn't have all the little rodeos to, to, you know, to pay for everything. So the great Bill Linderman, who was before my time, I admired his philosophy. And he said, out of the whole hundred percent pie, you got 10% guys that make a lot of money in the world champions. One for the ninety percent, the ten percent couldn't make a living. If one for ten percent, the ninety percent wouldn't have a rodeo. That's right. Think about it. Hey we Charlie, who guys. was your uh, who was your who was your uh, announcer mentor when you were first coming up? You still there, I Charlie? Early, early didn't have a mentor. Bob Tallman has 
been in my support corner corner for years, and he set me up with MD Anderson Cancer Hospital because he does a charity down there. Probably one of my best friends. Uh, when I was growing up, I listened to Cy Taylor. I thought he was great. Well, I'm uh, a- Bob Tallman's the entertainer. Cy Taylor was a quintessential radio announcer. With his style, Pete Logan signed my card. Would their styles work today in modern rodeo? I don't know. I don't know if they would. But they were the cream of the crop. Chuck Parkinson, uh, you know, Abney Barrett. Abney was an influence on me in later years just to have fun. I learned one thing. When you go to rodeo, have fun. That was too happy. He would click off the microphone. We were working together, tell me something funny, and I couldn't even click it back on the finish because I was laughing so hard. But if we had a good time and the people saw that we were having a good time, they had a good time. It was not fake. We're having a good time. Oh, Hadley, he's seen a bunch, didn't he? He uh, he went from the day where there was an orchestra or an, or- or an organ player all the way to where there's rock and roll playing right in the background. Uh, so did Charlie. And Orlando Coleman Becker. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie, that kind of leads me to my next question. I hate to put you on the spot, but if you were making a Mount Rushmore rodeo announcers, who would you put on it? The guys I just mentioned, uh, I, I, Cy Taylor, Pete Logan, Chuck Parkinson, Bob Tallman, Hadley Barrett. You can only put four put on Corey. there. You can only do four now, Charlie. I'd put Corley on there. Uh, Corley's a funny guy. Uh, it was funny at San Antonio one year. Corley wanted to jump in and announce it, and Hadley said, Look, this is my bumming son in law. He gets on my nerves. Get out of the way. You don't know anything about tripping. Charlie's the men's belly of tripping. So get out of the way, bum. <laughs> Charlie just looks at him and said, I love the respect for my father in law. Of course, having love, Corley. And they had fun. And everything was fun. You, you got to understand, guys, we're having fun. And uh, too many people take themselves seriously. We didn't take ourselves seriously. Jesus Christ. We had fun, you know. What about the Mount Rushmore steer roping? I'm going to make it a little harder on you, Charlie. Oh, my God. I knew you <laughs> Mount- would do that to me. Mount I got Rushmore too many friends. Like, my God. Guy Allen. I mean, that's no without brainer. a doubt. That's no-brainer. No-brainer there. Guy Allen. Uh, oh, my God. Everett Shaw. There's two. <laughs> I can't do this. I can't do this. You got to do it. Snedeker, Patterson. Uh, <laughs> I can go on. I, I I don't know. I've had too many favorites. Clark McIntyre. <laughs> okay. I mean, who else you want to mention? Jim Davis. <laughs> and Johnson Sr. <laughs> Show Webster. Show. There's too many of them. Yeah, it's hard to do. We, we put people on the spot. Show Webster was a cowboy. Show Webster was a winner. Show Webster was determined when everybody else gave up. You'd have to put him on Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore needs to be expanded if you're going to go with syrup. Okay, let's just go one more then. The, just the Mount Rushmore of rodeo, period. I'm throwing Harry Vold on there. Oh, my. You'd have to put Harry on there. Harry taught me a lot. Uh, how many nights with Fred Camp and Harry Vold? And we had a cocktail late at night telling stories. 
he was good for rodeo and he, he was a great philosopher. He said, I'm going to tell you what, if they don't get a handle on this, this rodeo business will go to hell in a handbasket. Now you need to listen to me, boys. <laughs> and he was right. You, you need to listen to those guys. The predecessors, Cotton Rosser, Cotton was not a fan of steer open, but he was good for rodeo, okay? He's good for rodeo. Yeah, we're just talking and, about rodeo. Yeah, rodeo. He's good for rodeo. Uh, down through the years, Tommy Steiner was good for rodeo. Tommy Steiner. Nope, nobody knows who Tommy Steiner is. Bobby Steiner's father. Uh, Sid, uh, Sid Steiner's grandfather. Was that Buck Steiner? Uh, Buck Steiner. I sat at that old saddle shop and listened to him tell stories. He was a friend of Benny Binion back in the Depression era. And they liked rodeo, and they were smart. We probably got to put Benny on there just because of this Cowboy Channel. I think it all came Benny. around because of Benny at the end of the day. You know, Brenda Michael died the other day. She's one of my dear friends and Benny Binion's daughter, and we talked a lot about bucket horses. And Clint Johnson is her son-in-law, a great guy. And the other day, two days before she died, she had cancer. We compared cancer notes, but Brenda got pretty bad, and she was in hospice. And I said, Brenda, trivia today. Do you feel like it? Shoot. I said, South Dakota bunk rider was an Indian. Was an educated cowboy. Placed in two go-rounds for the national finals. Rode a good bucket horse. He said, stop. That'd be Joe Chase. University of South Dakota. Got his master's degree. Could really ride bunks. Went to the national finals about three times. And got fat when he got old. I said, good for you, Brenda. Then she died the next day. Mm. But she had a mind right up until the end through pain. And I made her laugh. I made her laugh. And then she told me she loved me. I won't tear up I won't tear up telling the story, but what a great lady. She was good for rodeo. Brenda Michael. You know, her uh, her granddaughter's the the best one on the Cowboy Channel, I think. It interviewed. Yeah, she, she's great. And, I didn't realize she was her granddaughter till the other day. Yeah, she's been raised right. Jenny said, My grandmother loves you. I said, I loved her for many, many years. I said, She's such a great lady and knows horses better than anybody. You know, she she told me, you know, I said, Boy, I was up sure in that year when when Servey got a hold of the Anderson Colts from the Anderson Mares, they were bucking son of a guns. Couldn't nobody ride them. And we bucked them out one afternoon in Sheridan, just bucking them out. And that Bud Long break, some of them guys trying to get on them, they couldn't ride them. And Brenda said, I'll tell you where the Anderson Mares came from because she was a part of history on that big massive ranch up there that Benny owned and Benny Binion knew bucking horses. Don't think he didn't. No, Casey Tibbs. You got to put Casey Tibbs on there. Casey, you got to put Casey on there. Casey gambled a lot of money away one year at Horseshoe. Benny said, Casey, you're not a good gambler. I want to I give you some money to rodeo on. Don't don't blow your money. But Casey liked to gamble. Life was a gamble at Casey Tibbs. Uh, well, they didn't have no internet or nothing for him to surf on. He had to do something for fun back then. Had to gamble. Fun. He was a lot of fun. He was a lot of fun. Being around him in the latter years, he still had that dry sense of humor with the whoopee cushion and pull jokes on everybody. He, he was just a delight. I mean, you never knew what he was going to do. He had that look in his eye, and he wouldn't smile when he'd pull those antics. But that whoopee cushion, that's probably my best memory of Casey embarrassing the hell out of me. I guess we could stick Ben Johnson on there since he's the only man to win a, a 
an Academy Award and a Rodeo World Championship, maybe. So I'm, I don't know. It's just too hard. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off there, Charlie. I'm still thinking about this dang Mount Rushmore. bothers me every my, time I think about it. My hardest time in life was when I was in a roping pen one afternoon. Me and Gary Gist, who's a dear friend, Kenny Call, and Ben Johnson. And we were running cattle. And I was heading. I ain't the greatest header in the world. And I'm roping with these guys. We're out there early one morning just running cattle. Just us four. And Ben starts tuning on me. Oh, my God. Ben, just let me rope. Let me tell you what, Charlie boy. You rope your sidearm and you ain't no sunny right. Get that elbow up. And <laughs> he, he hammered on me. I said, I'm just here to have fun. I'm an announcer. Yeah. And I'm going to turn on your open. <laughs> That's how Ben Johnson was. He was a he was a super superhuman being, and he and he liked me a lot. And that was the reason he wanted to make a better roper out of me. And him and Joe Crow, we'd go eat breakfast, twelve course meal for breakfast. Ben want biscuits and gravy and eggs and sausage, and he had to have the gravy he wouldn't eat, and then a whole pot of coffee. And then the beef's not chewing tobacco. It just, that was been, I could tell you his habits back in the day because we went together to all those crowams together. And, uh, one year I remember the lazy E, this is a, this is a, a, a could have been tragic. The fender broke with him and then hit that old arena going nine over. My God, we ran out there and he, you know, he's getting some age on him. Oh, hell, boys, I'll be all right eight the first time that's happened. But you know he had to be so sore the next day, he never let it show. He said things can happen when you're dealing with horses and cattle. But we were concerned that that Ben was going to break all of his bones, and it, and it could have. A fender breaking. And, 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 and he, he, he went up, because technically you're standing when you're throwing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you? Yeah, I you, am normally. You, you don't rope on your butt. You're gonna you're gonna go forward and stand. Well, that fender broke. You threw him off balance. But uh, it could have happened to any of us. It could have killed us. But Ben Johnson touched on our gun. I saw that with my own eyes. Uh, he said, you know, and I said, the next morning we get you sore. I know, hell yeah, I'm sore. You know, I'm gonna let up. <laughs> you know, he wasn't gonna tell the public. <laughs> he said. I didn't do that old Bersadis any good in that shoulder, you know, shoulder. That right shoulder ain't worth a crap. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Crow, that is a blast from the past, too. You mentioned him. He was from right over here in Bartersville, Oklahoma. I remember I'm, set beside, I'm set beside Ben Johnson and Joe Crow in the foyer of a hotel. I can't tell this story on the air. I should have recorded it. It was funny, funny, funny. I still remember it. So much of them two, their gestures and their, their funny mannerisms. And Joe Crow was a cowboy from day one. Well, didn't he go to uh, 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 Oklahoma A&M? Yes. And he, I think he, had a, he made the finals in Stewart Open two or three yes, or he did. times. Yeah. I remember yes, him he well. did. His, wife, his wife, Rosemary, and I remember him. Yes, well. yes. I remember, I'm old enough to remember carrying on a long conversation with Nell Shaw. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. yeah. Well, I've had a lot Man. of them. They used to stay with us when they'd come back to Husky, you know, for the Ben Johnson. Isn't that great? Yeah. Isn't that great? He was such a gracious lady. Yeah. Uh, sure one was. lady. 
You know, uh, uh, my dad used to, my, my dad's rodeo and partner, one of them was Neil Worrell, which was her grandson, Nell's grandson. And uh, we'd stop down there in Stonewall and see her all the time. Anytime we were going through, and I was so young and dumb, I never took the time to, to slow down and listen to what they were talking about there in the kitchen. I, I feel, I thought oh, about my, that a lot, Charlie. I'm sure you have. Uh, Neil Worrell won the average in 1990, 32 years ago. On average. Oh, yeah. Old Whirly Bird. <laughs> I got some good stories on him one of these days, I'll tell you, Charlie. We need to do this again, guys, because we got so much to talk about and so much more to talk about. Yeah, we got to do another one with you here in a here in a couple months, Charlie, After maybe after the Steer Open Finals. What do you think? Bye. Bye, man. You guys are wonderful. Thanks for having me on today. Well, we sure appreciate you coming on and uh, giving, giving us your insights on the world of rodeo and your... Uh, Mount Rushmore of steer ropers and stuff. We appreciate that, and, Charlie. And again, I hope I'm not too opinionated, but that's my demeanor. No, we, we like that. We like that. Well, we're going to have to have him on talk about his career a little more, too. All we did is talk about everybody else's, but. Yeah. That's my job, not to talk about me, to talk about everybody else. I know, that's but my hell, job. I'm, I'm curious about you sometimes, Charlie. So. <laughs> I can't really get in depth from that. <laughs> yeah, but. Well, man, it was sure nice talking to you, and we appreciate you coming on, and uh, I appreciate you keeping all these old guys' memories alive, too, Charlie. Yes, for sure, and all their horses uh, and stuff. I Not love you guys people. for what you do. Yeah, I love you guys as people, as, as people, as the person that you are, and uh, I admire you guys. And the thing about it, I thought about it, and I'm going to give you a Ben Johnson impersonation. Well, Cody boy, it's your point of the game right now. You don't have to back the trailer. <laughs> well, thank you, Charlie. I appreciate that. Take care, guys. All right. Thank Bye. You. Thank We're you. all thinking about you, Charlie. Get yeah. well, man. Yeah. Thank you, man. Bye. All right. Well, Jimbo, that was a good one. Yeah, another good one. Boy, he's a wealth of information and basically an encyclopedia of rodeo and steer opens, especially. I told you, this guy knew yeah. his stuff. You'd be. I know. You might not get a word in edgewise on your rodeo historian. I know it. I know it. Oh, he put me to shame. I told you, Charlie, he knows his stuff. Yeah, for sure. That was good. Well, all right, everybody. Until next week, this has been old Cody and Jimbo. See y'all later. Old stories like long lost friends. Rodeos and late night bends History before our time Round pens and pasture rides Cowboys of the Osage